0: You're listening to Finding Common Ground, a creation of the Common Ground community of the Banyul Uniting Church. This podcast has been recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Join us as we wrestle with life, faith and how we make meaning of the presence of God in our lives. In this place, we attempt to find common ground.
1: Welcome to episode six of Finding Common Ground. This is our little podcast that we're doing from the Ban Neil Network of Uniting Churches. Uh, we're particularly doing season or one around the season of Lent in 2022. I'm joined today by Sandy Brodine. Hi. And David Landis Morse. In an equally high pitched, hi. <laughs> Thank you, David. Thanks, Sandy. <laughs> this week, we're looking at another passage out of Luke. And it's in uh, chapter 19, 28 to 40. This week, uh, if you're following the Lenten uh, calendar in your churches, it's probably known as Palm Sunday. So this is the reading that underpins that. But there's an intriguing difference between the Sunday we call Palm Sunday and the reading we're going to bring for you today. So listen carefully as David reads us from Luke.
2: After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples." I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out.
0: Mm, So what was odd about that passage?
1: Well, I'm not sure that David said Bethpage correctly, but I'm willing to learn. (laughs) Whereabouts are we, Sandy? Bethpage and Bethany? Are we just outside Jerusalem here or fair way? How well do you know you?
0: It's like the next, it's like the village just outside the walls of, you know, spitting distance.
1: Yeah, nice. So a lot of the locals would be in and out of Jerusalem all the time. It's an easy, easy walking.
0: So last, last week when we had the reading from John, and I've just said, let's be really careful not to confuse the Gospels um the the episode from john's gospel we had last week with martha and mary and lazarus who'd risen from the dead they live in bethany it's that same little town just outside although we're here in luke's gospel so what was missing from the reading
2: gosh i don't know sandy i'm not quite sure i wonder what it might be we did something about it being Palm Sunday didn't we
1: yeah so there's there's no palms, obviously. So, uh, yep, they don't throw the palms down, which is a famous image from some of the other gospel
0: accounts. All right. So what's missing is there's no palms. Now this one has cloaks. So we've got we've got Jesus riding from Bethpage and Bethany into, um, into Jerusalem or about to enter into Jerusalem, getting a colt to ride in.
2: Surely one of the weirdest transactions that you've ever heard, really, isn't it? I mean, you've got Jesus going, go ahead and get the cult. And just in case somebody says, and lo and behold, it happens exactly as he said, with exactly the same words. And you're left a little bit confused as if to say, why is the cult so important in this story, really? I mean, why have we wasted two verses on this? Yeah.
0: So partly that might just be oral culture and making sure you've remembered to say it, giving you those cues in in an oral culture. But it also, yes, it also might be making sure that you've heard something that really matters. Why is that? What is it that really matters about this? Well, it, it's it's basically all about allusions to the Old Testament. So it's picking up things that have happened um, that readers who knew the gospel really, knew the Old Testament text really well would pick up. So. Um, The the tradition is that it comes in through the Mount of Olives and that's in Zechariah 14, so he comes in through the Mount of Olives. Uh, And I think the cult, the cult is also an illusion.
2: Yeah, I seem to remember a verse that says something about you'll see him riding on a cult or something that's seen as a messianic
0: predicate. That's right. I think it is Isaiah and I wish I could find it right off the top of my head but I can't. Um, The... The other one um, to note there too is, of course, all of that stuff about um, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That takes us right back to the start of this passage about uh, this, this gospel, about this is a special child who's being born because they're the sorts of words that we heard. Um, Peace on earth and glory to God in the highest is what we heard from the shepherds right at the beginning of the gospel. Um, and so we've got those bringing us back to, to that again. Um, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, um, reminding us of Psalm 118. So there's a number of kind of, um, they're not just said accidentally, they're not just picked up, they're there to kind of remind you that this is a special moment where um, things that happened in the scriptures are coming coming to fruition. You know, it's, it's a, it's a fulfilment of what was said both in the Old Testament and at the beginning of this Gospel.
2: Yeah, it quickly looked it up, the joys of having the Bible on your computer. Um, Zechariah 9.9 9 is, um, shout, daughter, Jerusalem, see so your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey.
0: So I have marked enough exam papers on this passage in my time that tells you I do not remember numbers because I really should have known that I've marked it so many times. Beautiful. So Zechariah 14 is the Mount of Olives and Zechariah 9 is the colt. You. And
1: you mentioned it um, in, in terms of fulfilling prophecy and, and making sure the symbolism is understood. So one way of understanding that is he fulfils a prophecy, prophecy sorry, and uh, therefore it's, it's a sign that he is the Messiah. Um, but the other way to read it is that we're positioning Jesus as a, as a, as a Messiah um, and Luke is a particularly political uh, gospel. We see a lot of Herod, we see a lot of Pontius Pilate, we see a lot of different factions and so slotting Jesus in and where he fits among all those factions and how they they react to him as factions. Do they accept um, the Messiahship? Um, Do they have their own spin on the Messiah that they're pushing back with Um, and those kind of things? So uh, we can take it as, hey, here's a cosmic sign that Jesus really was the Messiah or I think Maybe more, the intent of Luke is to say, "Yes, Jesus is a messiah, and these are the these are the people who accepted it. These are the symbols that everybody understood um everyone in Jer- Jerusalem recognized Jesus as a messiah you know and and sort of positioning where everybody stood on that really uh, political issue as, as Luke would have it
0: yeah so they' try- so uh, in either way either way you read that they're trying to key us in and make us notice. This isn't just any ordinary story about some dude riding on a donkey. Mm. This, is, this is a particularly important moment. I think the other thing you said there that's really important is it's both political and and spiritual. So I, I was at something the other night with someone who was really, really un, 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 not wanting to see this as political at all, but I think it's really important that we see it as both. You know, there, there's an expectation on the part of um, of the Jews that there will come a Messiah who will save them from the Romans as all of this is going on, and Jesus is going to do that, but not in the way that they are expecting him to do so. Yeah, one
2: of the things I really noticed, um, taking to, to let you know that I do listen to what you say, Paul, uh, was to actually read the whole chapter and the the um, you know the, the the stories that come that lead up to this. You're talking about how political it is. I mean. The story right before this is this phenomenally political you know, little story of, um, uh, you know, well, they call it the, the parable of the ten minas in my particular translation. But it's basically about somebody who goes to become a king. Um, the people don't want him to become a king, but he's still a really harsh king and he gives money to his servants to try and make money. One of them doesn't. He gets killed. I mean, it's, it's a pretty violent, harsh not a happy not a happy story again and I was reminded you know that a lot of the the stories leading up to this are you know angry um, they're they are violent and in this particular case they're very political you know um, it's and I found the end little bit here where it says um, you know tell that to everyone who has more will be given, but for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And then just to finish off, those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. I mean, (laughs) there's not a lot of God's grace involved, you know, in, in the way we would traditionally see it. And as a story leading into something that talks about Jesus being
0: king, this is
2: a really interesting choice.
0: So he's not going to be the kind of king that he, they expect. What kind of king is he going to be?
2: Yeah, I, Yes, well, that's right. He's, he's reinterpreting kingship. I, I get that. But there's also some really interesting stories that are not as nice as we would like them to be.
0: No, absolutely.
2: And I think that, that for me is the, um, you know, so often we try and make nice stories out of what is fundamentally something that is not designed to make nice.
1: They have a really different understanding of what we call religion. They probably didn't call religion. It was just life. Uh, so we've probably reduced religion sits as sort of an alternative to philosophy and they all sit there as sort of adding a bit of meaning and and pep and stuff um, to your life. And the given is that you're going to live your, your normal life. You're going to be a good citizen, behave yourself, etc. cetera. That, I'm simplifying it a bit, but that's sort of a a modern Western mindset. Whereas for these people, their collective loyalty to God was the very core of their existence. Um, And everything flowed from that. Now we see that as being political because they have this collective loyalty that they're trying to debate and work out what's the best way of, of forward. And so to us it seems really political. They're talking about who should do what, who should be made to do what. How they're going to make decisions around um, cultural practices, economic practices, all the rest of it, but they don't necessarily see it's political. It was just that was that was life. Is collectively they always every day have to understand.
0: So the sacred secular.
1: Yeah, they have to understand how they're collectively going to live out that loyalty to God. So Sandy, you were going to say about the sacred and secular kind of dichotomy there.
0: Oh, so, so we have this thing about sacred and secular divide, don't we? And we say things like, you know, religion has no place in politics, as though you can separate your religious mindset out from your mind, the rest of your mindset. And and as you say, that's complete, completely impossible in in this worldview. And and I, I, I guess I find it hard as a Christian too. But I, I think we end up in that place because of the way. Um, well, a lot of Christians have behaved in the, public's, in the public arena and probably not surprisingly, but, but it's really important to notice that your public, your, your private, um, you, there's no private uh, internal faith that's about my soul here. This is about outplaying for the whole of the community, salvation for the whole of the community.
2: So one of the things I often think of Christianity is it's almost a bit like a, a small startup. You know, we're seeing Christianity as a small start in this particular thing. And, of course, the moment it gets big enough and, uh, you know, valuable enough, somebody else is going to come and gobble it up. And in many ways the state does that to the church. The state recognises the value that the church has of being the moral arbiter and so it co-opts it in and it. it gives us a limited amount of power. And, and in a way, we see this sort of stuff happening here. We see, um, we see the, 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 the disciples of Jesus. And I have to say, one thing I did notice this for the, for the first time reading, it, we talk about the whole crowd, but in actual fact, it's the crowd of disciples, not the whole crowd. It's not as though he suddenly got the whole crowd of the town there. It's his disciples. So, you know, they've got a bit of a vested interest here. Um, and they're the ones that are cheering him on. And then you've got the Pharisees going, actually, you know, it may not be politically astute to go riding into, you know, Jerusalem, which is occupied by the Romans, screaming, hey, here comes the Messiah, you know. Now, in actual fact, we say we we often hear this and think the Pharisees are being curmudgeonly and, and, and grumpy. In actual fact, they may have just been fairly politically astute and saying, you know, you're a bit of a um uh, not not the best political move here, and maybe actually meaning it in a caring fashion. Um so again you see this interplay of of how we see this. But well, you're right, Paul, we don't necessarily see it in a the political thing. We see it in terms of Jesus being the the religious messiah stuff.
0: David and the kind Pharisees. Um, <laughs> so that's another thing that's different across all the accounts is who these um who these who the crowd is you know is the crowd everyone um some, there's one of them that where the suggestion is there might be you know the emperor coming in from the other gate or the representative the, the governor coming in from one gate and he's coming in from another this one has it that it's the disciples that are around so that's another thing that isn't isn't exactly the same across the three um and the other thing i wanted to just say uh, that That's different. So, we talked about those two stories, David, that you noticed came before and why they might be there. In Matthew and Mark, you've got two stories about um, blind men. Um, So, blind and seeing. So, you've got that thing about it, you know, who can see and who can't see, which is a really important metaphor that runs across all four gospels. So, that's, you know, who can see, who can't see. And here he comes in. What are we seeing? you know are we what 's different about this day and what we 'll see later on and John, if you remember back to last week when we had that story about Martha and um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus at his house, you notice that at the end of it it said something along the lines of and now the Jews decided they wanted to kill him or the Pharisees were now out to kill him so in in that one it's it makes it really clear that the relationship between the Pharisees and the Jews is at its kind of critical moment of complete breakdown um, and, and riding in is going to mean nothing but, you know, his death.
1: And in many ways it's quite a sad conflict between the Pharisees and the early Christians in hindsight uh, because they're all motivated by loyalty um, to God. Um, in many ways they should all be on the same sides.
0: Um, one of the things we find out in um, in John, like back just jumping to John's gospel again, is at the time that this is being written down, um, what's happening is that the Jews are actually finally being kicked out of the temple. So in about 70 CE, uh, the Greek word is aposynagogus, so they're being kicked out of the temple. Um, And so what's happening is this is at the moment that that's actually going on. So that's why these, you know, it's often seen as being a bit anti-Semitic, John's Gospel, because there's all these sort of things about the Jews did this, but it's really about helping that early community understand how they got to where they got to and that there is life for them as Christians once they can no longer worship in the temple because for the very earliest Christians, they continued to worship in the temple probably for the first 30, 40, 50 years until they got kicked out of the temple. Um, so it's about saying, well, now we no longer have the temple.
2: And I think, you know, that, that is, that's important to note because your final verses here are not ones that we necessarily highlight. But this whole concept of this, um, you know, foretelling the concept of, of the destruction of the temple, um, which, again, doesn't necessarily really doesn't impact on us in the same sort of way. But, you know, verses 41 to the end of 44, you know, has this whole concept of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and, and the temple. And for a jew that immediately locates Jesus as somebody who cares about something that is deeply important to the jewish people um, for us it's just a well whatever you know it's another verse there that talks of what we might see it as a, as a prophecy or whatever but we don't get that this is actually a marker of something that 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 tells us that Jesus is deeply jewish um, and locates a sense of identity and that he he feels very deeply you know we've we've had how he We've been told how he has to feels he has to go to Jerusalem. That validates the fact of who he is—that he's a prophet—and um, we have several times this discussion of his distress over Jerusalem not recognizing what's truthful, which is something that only necessarily somebody brought up in the Jewish faith is going to feel as strongly about. You know.
1: That was a good point, David.
0: Well, uh, we leave on that high point this week with. Um, with the crowds crying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Something's about to go, go down. If, if it were silent, the stones would shout out, something's about to happen big time in Jerusalem. So thank you for joining me today, Paul and David.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: And if you'd like to uh, find us on Facebook, you'll find us at Common Ground Heidelberg or you can like us on the Banyol Network of Uniting Churches Facebook page or um, you can uh, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or wherever else you get your great podcasts. And please let your friends know about us. Um, We're steadily getting more listeners each week, but it's wonderful to see uh, and hear from you what you've liked uh, and how you'd like to engage about these readings going forward. Bye. You've been listening to Finding Common Ground podcast from the Common Ground community produced by John Rowe. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, rate us and invite your friends to listen to us. You can also join In Conversation with us on Facebook by searching Common Ground Heidelberg. We look forward to talking to you again soon.